the Imposter Syndrome Files. I am so grateful that you're here, and I really hope that you've been enjoying the conversations that you've been listening to, and hopefully finding some tips, some next steps that you can take if you struggle with similar feelings of self-doubt, which obviously, as you're hearing, are fairly universal. This is something that we all go through from time to time. When I started this podcast, my goal was really to try to normalize the experience, to let everybody know that you are not alone, that there's a name for what you're feeling, and that there are steps that we can be taking to manage it more effectively. What I have found over the course of these conversations has been fascinating. I have had an absolutely powerful and different conversation with every single person who I have interviewed. I worried at one point that there may not be enough to talk about. How much is there to say about imposter syndrome? Are the stories gonna start to get repetitive? That has absolutely not been the case. Everyone brings a fascinating new perspective to this conversation. I have learned something from every discussion that we've had. I hope you have too. I wanna make a note that many of these recordings are being done during the social distancing that's happening with coronavirus. I am doing my best to protect the sound quality, but we are all in homes that have pets, kids, all kinds of background noise going on. For me, it's much more important to share with you a very natural conversation between two people than it is to share a perfectly polished recording. So I hope that you will bear with us if there are moments where the sound is not perfect. Uh, Really, my goal is to share stories, not to provide perfectly scripted, perfectly polished audio. So apologies for any imperfections that may be coming through in the recordings, but I'm hoping that you're getting the essence of the message regardless. So thank you again for being here. I wish you all the best and hope that you will consider sharing your own story one day. Thanks again. Welcome, Marilyn. I am so excited to be talking with you today. I know you and I have gotten to know each other a bit over the last few months, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I'd love to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, Kim, first of all, let me thank you. Uh, I'm just so happy to be here to, to join you in your podcast. I own my own company, and it's called Mediatude. It's a communication company specializing in brand marketing, education, business presentation skills, and media coaching. And I do a lot of extra communication workshops and seminars tailored to my audiences uh, so that they can learn how to communicate and market their their messages successfully. Over the years, I have one very special interest of mine is helping women in the workplace especially communicate successfully with their male colleagues and male clients. So I developed a workshop called Women Speak, which covers a number of points to help them. And these days, it's an excellent time in our current culture to help women understand that through successful communication and understanding the communication differences between women and men, which is so important, they can further empower themselves and work in general communication and situations as well as business. So I think today... Um, 
I wanted to discuss with you how imposter syndrome finds its way into women speak and can create a chain reaction of negative communication for women, especially in the workplace. Although I will talk about it in general again, that these things can happen. So my goal in discussing this with you is to help women quickly identify these situations and work on correcting them. But if you don't mind, before we get into to that, let me just give a quick overview of what Women Speak is. Sure. Women Speak is a combination of speaking patterns and other verbal and nonverbal communication that are unique to women when communicating to their friends, families, and business colleagues, but especially their male colleagues. It can occur in all types of communication situations, such as work, social engagement activities, and classrooms. There are four very powerful influencing factors I have attributed to women speak. The first one is social conditioning. The social conditioning you had as a little girl may not be the conditioning you need as a grown businesswoman. The second one, the listening advantage. Listening versus hearing. Women listen men here. The third one is women and men's speaking styles. They are definitely different and can affect your confidence and overall behavior. And the last one is women's verbal and nonverbal patterns. Are you aware you may be using patterns that are detrimental to your communication? So with that in mind, women speak can affect image, business decisions, promotions, and even your career paths. But there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, how can women speak be used to your advantage? Well, men and women communicate differently. There's no doubt about it. So understanding the other side is critical for career success and positive thinking. That's great. I'm really looking forward to having a more in-depth conversation about what you call women speak because I think it's really relevant to this whole conversation of imposter syndrome. And so to, to get us started on that, what does imposter syndrome mean to you? And how in you know the context of women speak, which you just described, can can it affect us as we advance our careers? Well, I think there's a little bit of imposter syndrome in all of us at various times in our lives. And the first words or phrases that I think of when I hear the words imposter syndrome are self-doubt and loss of confidence, especially in the workplace where I do research and study. Women tend not to accept what they have accomplished, but rather doubt themselves and fear that they'll be exposed as being deceitful or du duplicitous. Hmm. Yes, I would agree with you on, on that for sure. Uh, can you give us a specific example of, you know, sort of the connection between imposter syndrome and women speak? Like, what, what do you think are manifestations of imposter syndrome in the context of, of women speak? Yes, good question. I see it displayed in many members of the audiences that attend my workshops and seminars. And I've had lots of discussions with my students, attendees, and clients how they felt. Imposter syndrome, and by far you are the expert on this, but I can say this, that what I know about it and have read about it, it can creep in when you're giving a presentation. For example, you start to feel nervous that the audience doesn't think you're knowledgeable in your subject matter 
or when receiving praise from a manager or colleague and you deny it by saying, it wasn't really you, it was everyone else. It can affect women when they're in an interview and don't feel worthy of the job they're applying for or of the promotion they may have received at work. So that's kind of how it sneaks in, in this whole pattern that women have and don't realize it. Mm, I think those are really great examples that probably most people can relate to. So what do we do about that? You know, because so much <laughs> of this is, isn't even something that we are necessarily conscious of. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of happening in the background. We don't necessarily even know to, to challenge some of the things that we're telling ourselves. Like what, what do you suggest as ways to, to sort of help break free of this? Well, one of the things that I've done is I've done because it, I, I, I'm really interested in, in uh, this syndrome um, since getting to know you and talking to you and even before then. And also, I, you know, I'm interested in helping women get out of this, this, this pattern they're in. So I did some, one of the things I've done is I've done a lot of research and put together a list of 13 tips that I call Women Speak Negative Patterns. Um, and they are both verbal and nonverbal, which is very important to understand. It's just not speaking. It's maybe things such as gestures, uh, things that you can see but not hear, but are still very telling. And also something that I call mind thinking. When something enters their mind and they're thinking about it and they can't get rid of it. So out of the 13, I'd like to share five of my favorites with you. Sure. And please feel free to, I'm going to ask you for some examples too, because I think all of us have done this at times. So the feelings that they carry with them with these 13, the five are, the first one is endless apologizing. And we've all seen and talked about this. Saying the words, I'm sorry, when you wrong someone or something is your fault and you want to apologize is certainly appropriate. However, over time, and it's shown women do this way more than men, Women have put these words into their everyday use excessively, and it carries over into your work. The two best examples that I can think of in, in saying and apologizing profusely is, here's an example, you're at the grocery store, and when, when many of us used to be able to go in the grocery store, which we can't do right now, <laughs> um, and during this COVID-19, the grocery carts. You're standing there in a narrow aisle. You have your grocery cart. Somebody is trying to get by you. And all of a sudden, you're blaming yourself that this is a position. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, yes. And then the person says, I need to get through. Oh, I'm sorry. No. Did you build the store and make the aisles narrow? Did you put promotional things in the aisles to make them even more narrow? This is not your fault that somebody can't get through. So, um, I always think about saying things like, oh, excuse me, or, oh, let me get out of your way so you can get by. The other big example is if you're at the gym and the lockers, you're in the locker rooms, and you know how the lockers fold over to the next locker when you open it. Invariably, when you're in there and you're doing that, somebody comes in right next to you to that locker, and you say, I'm sorry, as if it's your fault that the lockers are built that way and you opened it up and are in their way. You're not. So it's important to say, excuse me, in those situations 
or something like I said before, oh, let me move uh, so you can get by. Don't apologize, though, for your thoughts, your feelings, and beliefs. And don't apologize if someone bumps into you. That's not your fault. So I was, I was interested, Kim, if you had some examples or if you had something that you, you do that you think um, as an apology that you've noticed or if you notice that you do that sometimes. It's, it's such an interesting point because I've thought a lot about this. And I think that there's certainly part of this that's rooted in our self-worth or, you know, we sort of take responsibility for things that are not our responsibility. As you mentioned, it's not our fault that it's designed that way. And, and so we have to stop taking accountability for problems that we didn't create. You know, the other part of this that I think is interesting is that it's, it's a very relational uh, approach to interacting with other people. And so it's almost a way of smoothing out potential conflicts or maintaining a positive relationship with somebody is that, you know, we sort of say, oh, I'm sorry, right? Or sorry to interrupt, but things that undermine us unintentionally, but what we're really trying to do is to come across as more uh, collaborative or congenial, right? So we don't want to come across as overly aggressive because we've been taught that that's not acceptable behavior in girls or in women. So true. That's a really good way to put it that, you know, I haven't thought of, which is why I learned so many things from when I'm interviewed or I'm interviewing someone. Uh, yes, it's just, it's, we're, 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 we're going to talk about that a little more um, later about how we're social conditioned and why those things happen. Um, the second one, because I have five of these that I want to talk about, the second one is upspeak. And a lot of people know what upspeak is, but in case you don't, and it's mainly, again, found in women, upspeak is putting a question at the end of a statement. So you're in a meeting, your boss or manager says, so what's the budget for this? And you say, the budget estimate is $10,000. Instead, the budget estimate is $10,000. Ending with a question mark when you need to make a statement causes others to think you're unsure of your information and yourself. So that's a big one that happens in the workplace a lot of time with women. Mm -hmm. The, The third one is negative qualifiers, words or word groups that limit or diminish the meaning of another word or phrase such as, and listen to this list. I mean, when, when I was doing this and writing this and research and all this, I, I never really thought about this. May, might, could, probably, possibly, doubtful that, not 100% sure, making you sound unsure and weak. And this is, again, where the imposter syndrome can creep in slightly because, again, it's putting that loss of confidence because you're qualifying it negatively. Yes. Belittling yourself. You're asked how you thought your presentation went and was received, and you say, I don't know. I did my best, but I'm not sure it was enough. Instead, say, good. It was well-received. And, you know, this takes practice, which I talk about, because we, we're just we – just, tend to do this. And your point was so good about saying, you know, we don't want to have anybody uh, get mad at us. We don't want to be rude. We want to be understanding, listen to the other person. So these are all these things that 
we have to think about sometimes because we just use them as these patterns. The, the fifth one that I want to talk about is a little newer phrase um, that's come about, and it's used more in casual conversation, and it's called male genderizing. And male genderizing occurs when you address an entire group of women or a group including women as you guys. Have you ever thought about that, Kim? Yeah, it's, it's really funny because I never used to think about it. And now <laughs> I'm so much more conscious of it, but I, I'm definitely guilty of it. It's a, it's a hard habit to break. Listen, I, somebody brought this up at a, at a conference I was at, and I was on the panel, and I asked for examples of other things that they can do, and I've used it, and she studied male genderizing, and I now use it in women speak because I have to break myself of these habits, too. I mean, we're all like that. So um, I usually try and say now everyone or everybody, and when I lived in the South, I used to be able to say y'all, but you, you, I can't do that now in the same way. <laughs> But hi, everybody, or welcome, everybody. Or, you know, in a more formal situation, a lot of times we say ladies and gentlemen. But this, again, is where the imposter syndrome leaks in that we don't catch or think about or even know, and we're saying this. In answer to the second question, I think you said about breaking free from these patterns, when you start practicing these mind thoughts and, and speaking phrases that are positive, and what I like to do when I get in these situations is I have quotes, positive quotes that I like to say to myself. And I just like to share six of them well, with you in the audience. Behind, I use this one a lot when I'm introducing myself on a website and I need to put something down as a tagline. Behind every successful woman is herself. That's an anonymous quote, and I just love it because it puts all of the good things and positivity on you. You know best how to be successful for what you want to do. The second one is you'll never do a whole lot unless you're brave enough to try. And that quote is from Dolly Parton. And I just really admire Dolly Parton because she had to work so hard as a woman in the time that she was getting into the music industry, which is a very, which is very much male at that time. And she took chances and she did everything. And I believe that we all have to be brave as well as we get out of this imposter syndrome that we might be in. The third one is strong women aren't simply born. They're made by the storms they walk through. Again, anonymous. I wish I could credit and I knew who did these. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a great quote because, you know, a lot of times there are blocks and mountains that we have to climb and bumps along the road. And I think that each of those things, when we come out of it, makes us stronger, which is going to help us in all kinds of situations. This next one is from, I just love this quote, is from uh, former governor of Texas, Ann Richards. If you give us a chance, women can perform. After all, Ginger Rogers did everything that Fred Astaire did. She just did it backwards and in high heels. Isn't that a great quote? I love that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> because that's just saying, hey, we not only did it, we did it with, with something that we had to, a mountain we had to get over. Um, <laughs> A Japanese proverb is fall seven times, stand up eight. And I think that's really good. I think I use this one a lot in my mind thinking when something happens or something's not going like I would want it to or it's a negative, something negative has occurred. Because I think eventually, you know, like the old saying, you got to get up on a horse. Um, 
You just have to do it. At some point, you're strong enough and you go, okay, this time it's going to work. And this last quote is from Harriet Beecher Stowe, and it's never give up, for that is just the time that the tide will turn. And I think in life this really happens. We're just at the point of it sometimes, and you just want to say, no, I want to keep trying because I know at some point, you know, this is going to work. So that is a long answer to your questions, but those are things that I like to do is use something positive in, in my mind and thinking. And it kind of gets me up and gets me going again and motivated. I love those quotes. And I, and I love the idea of shifting to more positive thinking. I think that's it's a really powerful way to approach this. You've also got me thinking, because I was thinking when you were talking about the negative qualifiers and you're talking about belittling yourself, going back to this idea of being more relational in how we show up with other people. I think sometimes when we use those negative qualifiers in particular, where we show signs of hesitation, we don't make definitive statements, it's because we want, we don't want to come across as so definitive and almost dictatorial in how we're expressing ourselves. We want to invite the possibility that there may be other ideas And sometimes because of the potential for backlash against women who overstep traditional gender norms, right, we may be afraid that if we say something too decisively that we will be seen as too aggressive. And so we've learned through this just kind of unconscious conditioning that we go through that it's not always safe to assert our ideas in more definitive ways. And similarly, when we talk about belittling yourself, right, I think there is an awkwardness that comes when someone compliments you and we, we sort of feel like, oh, I don't, I don't want to come across as braggy, right. Or, uh, you know, someone says, yes, you know, you did a great job on that. Oh, well, you know, thank you. But, uh, because we don't, we, we're not comfortable being put on a pedestal. Uh, it's never been a safe thing. Uh, I was, it may have been, and you, you and I talked a little bit about the, the book. That's what she said, right? It may have been in that book, actually, where I, I got this whole idea of, about the ways in which boys and girls are, are conditioned differently. And I think she's the one who talks about the fact that boys bond by one upping each other and sort of say, <laughs> as one boy will say, um, Hey, look what I can do. And then the other boy will say, Oh yeah, you think that's great. Look what I can do. Right. And they're always trying to outdo each other. Whereas with girls, that's not a safe thing to do. And girl peer groups, you, you'll be ostracized if you try to be better than the girls around you, right? Yeah, you want to you want to stay in your little group. You better you better not be doing what little boys learn how to do. Exactly, and so I think some of these are sort of self preservation mechanisms in some ways because if we don't behave that way, then we experience backlash for being too strong, for being too aggressive, and so I think part of well, part of what I recommend for approaching this is to think about ways that you can honor the other person and still honor yourself, right? We don't oh, have- I was going to say, that's a great quote. I might have to borrow that. Oh, sure, know. sure. <laughs> uh, you know, we don't have to put ourselves down in order to make someone else feel better. We can balance, we can, you know, we can have balanced 
equations where we both feel good about ourselves. And, and it's since it is hard to see this in action when we're talking, especially if we're nervous, if we're in a meeting and we don't necessarily consciously hear all of the language that we're using. I think another good strategy for improving in these areas is to start with editing your written communications to look for where you're using that language in an email or other kind of written communication and because you have time to edit, right? So strip that out, reframe it in a more positive, less undermining way. That's a really good key message for all of us to, to learn and, and work on. And yes, because you are not under any kind of stress when you can look at something and the written word. So you can go through there and see if you've said anything. And there's a whole thing that we're not going to talk about today, but in, in business writing, how different women write than men, which is, which is very interesting. Maybe that's our next podcast. Yeah, maybe I can have a (laughs) follow-up. But I, I know I, I did kind of want to pick up on what you said about um, Joanne Lippman's book, because I know we had talked about some, um, strategies and and you were talking about some of those and she does um, talk about Joanne Lippman wrote a book called that's what she said what men need to know and women need to tell them about working together and it's it's a good book isn't it Kim it really is um, but she talks about um, helping women helping other women with something that she calls amplification and the buddy system and this is, I'm quoting her, this is, this is her paragraph about this, where she says, women's ideas often aren't heard until they are repeated by a man who gets the credit. The solution, take a cue from the women of the Obama administration and, in quotes, amplify the original speaker by repeating her idea and ensuring that she is recognized for it. If you're the wisdom being heard, enlist a colleague, even a male colleague, and I want us all to remember that success needs to include male mentors as well, Mm -hmm. Um, or a female to amplify your ideas. Another strategy, she says, is since women are penalized if they talk about their accomplishments, they, along with easygoing men, can become each other's brag buddies. They can share each other's accomplishments with one another and then each tout the other's achievements to the boss. So, for example, I can give something that I'm going to do today. I'm, I'm going to post after this, we complete our uh, interview and our podcast. I'm going to be posting on my different social media sites uh, what a great time I had talking with Kim, what we talked about a little bit, um, how people can learn from this. And then I'm, I'm going to be uh, suggesting some different maybe speakers that should be on her podcast because she does such a good job and she, and we as the speakers learn how what we do uh, involves and evolves into things in imposter syndrome. So that right there is amplifying and bragging. And I think the other things that I, I like to do is I always like to be very positive and congratulatory when people I know, former colleagues or friends, uh, have completed something that's hard for them to do. Just in general, when I hear from them or others about a positive outcome, I have someone I hired as a intern when I was working for another company, and now she's in a great position and works with media, 
and she emailed me not too long ago. I got the New York Times to do an interview with our CEO. And, you know, I wrote back and said, I knew you could do that. That is fantastic. Make sure you send me a copy of that. And that's what I think we have to do more of with women and we and we don't we don't seem to do it so um i've started doing that uh and i feel really good about it when i do it i love that because first of all there's so many positives to that but first of all i think that by setting that example it becomes it becomes contagious right because other people experience the positive impact of being on the receiving end of that and they appreciate it and want to reciprocate with others. So it creates a more positive culture. I also think to your point, it makes us feel better. And one of the things I always say about, you know, an antidote to imposter syndrome or to confidence challenges more generally is to focus on helping others. When we are adding value serving others, we're out of our own heads. We're not thinking about ourselves and the things that we don't do well, we're, we're in service to other people using our unique strengths and skills. And it's just a natural confidence booster. So true. And seeing them happy, you know, makes you feel back happy. I always say as much as I enjoy getting presents and gifts, I love to give gifts too, because that's a, that's another way of, of feeling good about yourself. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about work environments. What, what effects, you know, whether positive or negative, do you think that work environments have on confidence in this conversation that we're having? Well, it's it's huge, and um, there's there's you know conscious and unconscious bias. If I can just talk about that for a minute, exists everywhere. So it makes gender balance, which in and equity even more difficult. And this is seen, this is a big issue still now. I mean, I have to say that, you know, I never thought at this point in my life, we'd still have, we still haven't broken completely through the glass ceiling. I, I, I sometimes I think, what year am I living in? I, I still can't, I still can't believe this. So today, you know, we still have this. And, um, according to, uh, Dr. Renee Navarro, who is a leading, uh, researcher on uh, gender equity and, and gender balance and bias. She says that unconscious biases are social stereotypes about groups of people that individuals form outside their own conscious awareness. So we don't even realize we're showcasing this bio bias because we don't think about it. And it's far more prevalent than conscious prejudice and often incompatible with one's conscious values. Um, so certain scenarios can activate unconscious attitudes and beliefs. And for example, biases may be more prevalent when multitasking or working under time pressure. So someone with imposter syndrome, um, and I'd like you to comment after I say this, Kim, because again, you're the, you, you know and studied this for a long time, may be part of a group at work and feeling unsure of themselves to begin with. And now this added pressure of a culture or manager who displays this kind of bias, who doesn't even realize they're explaining it, um, showcasing it, makes it even worse. So if you work with a mainly top-level males running the company with big egos, another negative effect on those with imposter syndrome could be the negative speaking patterns 
found in women speak that we discussed earlier. All that starts coming back. You don't want to say anything. You don't want to say anything wrong. You don't want to be too aggressive, assertive, um, like the good point that you made. So the workplace can just be very difficult at times. And it's, you know, more and more people are trying to write like Joanne did about there are some great men out there and great leaders. And my advice is always, you know, if you're looking for a new job or you're in an environment where you can see these kinds of things happening, you know, get out of it at some point, get out of it and find somewhere where, you know, you can enjoy your work life because it's, it's such a big part of our life. Um, There is some light at the end of the tunnel though, that, if you can find a place like that, and there are many companies that at, that are working on this and have good cultures um, and are more diversified and gender equal, it brings such a positivity uh, to you as as a as an employee and to the place that you work. You're so right, Marilyn. I think that's an important point, and it's it's something that I talk a lot about as well because the tendency for us to blame ourselves when we feel different from the dominant culture around us is a strong trigger of imposter syndrome. So if you look around, if you're an only, if you're one of very few uh, of a certain profile, whether that's being a woman in a male-dominated space, being of another minority group, there is a tendency for us to look around and think, there, there must be something wrong with me. I don't fit in here, right? And that's when the inner critic starts to kick in and we start telling ourselves things that we accept as fact that are truly not about us. It's about the environment that we're in. And we have to be able to separate those things out. So to just kind of consciously tune into, is this an environment that aligns with my values? Is this an environment that allows me to be my best self? You know, if, if I am not somebody who uh, responds well to bullying and all kinds of artificial pressure, right? Can I do things in my own way um, with my team? Uh, if, you, if you can't answer those questions positively, then it's a really important signal that it may be time to start asking some bigger questions about what's next and what's going to be a better fit. And you're absolutely right that it's important to be on the lookout for those kinds of qualities and cultural values wherever you go, because it's the kind of information that's not available in a job description. It's typically not even something you can get at in any type of meaningful way in an interview because everyone's on their best behavior, right? And there are certain questions that you can't you can't really ask in that setting. And so to really be thinking about other ways to get that, whether it's through informal networking contacts, uh, you know, checking some of the review sites, you know, just anything that can help you to get at those intangibles is going to be really, really important. Yes. And wouldn't that be great? I love your comment. Wouldn't that be great if when you were researching, you went online and looked on a website and you could find out about the culture, the true reality of a culture, and you'd be able immediately to check that one and say, no, I'm not going to even apply there. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But unfortunately, we don't have that yet. But I, I just think your point is so on that. And, and, and we're going to get into this a little bit next, I think, um, 
with how women immediately blame themselves. And I think, you know, at work, like you said, they start thinking, well, what did I do wrong? And I would say in most relationships, and believe me, I'm not any kind of uh, psychologist or anything, but I would think that's probably so true that women blame themselves many times in a relationship too. Oh, absolutely. You're absolutely right. So why don't we move to that point then and talk okay. a little bit about what, you know, what are some of the other parts of our backgrounds that you think influence this? Well, there's two areas that I really want to talk about. Um, the first one is social conditioning. And the second one is women's, women's and men's speaking styles, because I don't think people think about this enough. But let me begin with this great quote about social conditioning. Girls are taught to be perfect. Boys are taught to be brave. Stop crying. That's why girls never think they are good enough. It's the message we get from the day we're born. It drives me insane the way we're socialized. The most important thing is to be your authentic self. Meritocracy is important. That's one great thing about sports. It is objective. You either win or lose. Do you have any thoughts, Kim, on putting you on the spot of a woman who might have said this? Ooh, that's a... Um... You'll never forget it now when I say it. The wonderful Billie Jean King. Ah, uh, you know it's funny. I was going to say Serena Williams, but see, oh, you would have been different. And you know what? What I do want to say is, you know, we have improved with social conditioning, but you would think this quote would be from years ago when Billie Jean started. No, this is why it's social conditioning needs to still be out front because this was only three years ago when she did an interview for the tennis movie Battle of the Sexes. Oh wow! You know, with and when I saw that, I I, I started thinking before I saw when the quote was, I thought, well, you know, it's true. Sports, you win or lose, you know, but even in sports, um, it's still not, it's still not even, it's still not equal with the soccer teams, women's soccer teams, versus mm. men. I mean, all kinds of things. So I don't want to be, you know, I want to say it's improving, but we're not there yet. And this quote just as it all when, so why does this still happening? Well, one theory is women are still conditioned socially from birth to act a certain way. Uh, I'd like to look at a few comparisons that Connie Glazer and Barbara Smalley, who are pioneer authors in sex role conditioning, put together in their book that was just recently updated, More Power to You, showing sex role conditioning for men and women, especially in the workplace. That's why this particular um, research is interesting because just just not about growing up and it's about happening when you're socially conditioned and what happens to you later when you become when you're in business and so I'd like to go just through about four or five typical behavior from when you start out little as to when you grow into an adult um, typical mm -hmm. of go ahead no I, I was just agreeing I think that's great okay. Okay, and if you can think of some more, or the audience can think of some, that's a that's a good that would be a good thing, a good practice, an application to think about what else is there that we know that has happened to us. Uh, typical of female behavior, prefers playing in small groups or in pairs where intimacy is the key. Typical of male behavior, prefers playing in large groups that are structured hierarchically. Typical of female behavior, thin-skinned, sensitive to criticism. I believe that is very true. Um, mm -hmm. Typical of male behavior, thick-skinned, expects criticism and views it as helpful. Typical of female behavior, emotional under pressure, 
typical of male behavior, cool under pressure, typical of female behavior, attribute success to luck. How many times I've seen that in the workplace? Typical of male behavior, attribute success to self, believes it, says I did it, and continues to talk about it all day. <laughs> I added those last parts there. Um, typical of female behavior, hopes to be successful. This is a huge one. Typical of male behavior, expects to be successful. Mm. What do you think of those mm-hmm. few behaviors of each other? Absolutely. Um, I I love that last one and that really important distinction between hopes and expects. Uh, you know, and, and I think that is so true. We're always saying, women, I, well, I hope to do that. I hope to do that. Men grow up expecting to do it. And it's only natural that the language we use is going to influence how we think about ourselves. Yes. So even something as simple as substituting words like I expect for I hope or, uh, you know, just using more definitive language as we talked about before can go a long way in strengthening how we think about ourselves. Absolutely. In summary from the authors, um, what happens when boys and girls grow up to become men and women in the workforce? Well, men fit in comfortably in their team structure. They grow up with that. And even though we do have Title IX and everything, it is still not quite the same. Women often don't know how to become a team player, especially if they grow up and they, they don't get into team sports. Mm-hmm. Men have no qualms about giving orders. Women are more uncomfortable with that and want everyone to agree. And that goes back to, Kim, to something you said early on about, you know, we don't want to step over that line. We want people to like us. Mm-hmm. We don't want to get into any conflict. Men, um, and perhaps most importantly, uh, men have qualms about giving uh, orders. Women are more uncomfortable with that and want everyone to agree. And perhaps men expect to be successful, and when they are, they take full credit. And how true is that? Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, again, added words from what you said before about the last part about hope and just one word can change everything. So again, we go back to the amplifying and buddy system where women, on the other hand, hope to be successful. And when they are, they often attribute it to luck or the help of others. Now, let me say a caveat here. That's not to say when you work with a team and you do a great job and and you learn there's no I in team to say, I had a great team to work with. But when you're saying it that way, you're not giving credit to everybody. So that's kind of a way that I've come to believe that women should accept, you know, compliments and doing that. You're still giving credit, but you're not saying, well, my team did it all, which we tend to say. Yes, you're right. I do think that we have trouble owning our own part in our success, which is why we we do attribute it to luck. And one of the things that I've been talking about lately is a conversation I had recently with a woman where we were talking about gratitude, which you and I just happened to be talking about before we got on this uh, recording, right? Uh, And we were talking about the 
the value of gratitude practices. And especially at a time when people are feeling uncertain and overwhelmed, gratitude is a really great way to manage ourselves. But we added a twist that I thought was really helpful for women who have a tendency to not take credit for their own work, which is in the practice of documenting what you're grateful for, add a note about what contribution you made or, you know, what's something you did that created that situation that you're grateful for, right? Because, you know, if if we use an example of I'm so grateful that we have food on the table and that we don't have to worry, right? Well, that's in large part because my husband and I have worked really hard, right? And, um, you know, there's a lot that is not that a lot of that that doesn't happen by chance, right? So I think for those of us who have not been conditioned to take credit for our work, to start noticing what our own role is in the positive things that are happening around us can be a good way to shift that mindset. Terrific point because it's just not there and it's not there for women because we're not conditioned to think that it's there. That's right. And exactly. I, it's, it's just, it, that just says it all. Um, you, you know, people will say, I'm sure like to you and me, well, you've, you know, look what you've, you know, you've gotten to where you are and you've done this and you've done that. And, and I've started saying, well, I've worked really hard to get here. You know, and I think that's a really good thing to say for yourself because you're, you're saying the truth and you're saying it about yourself. And I think that gives you some more positivity. So I, I love that point to think about. And I think that's a great way to, to, to do it in terms of you're grateful, but hey, I had something to do with this. Right. Exactly. Um, and I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, Marilyn. I feel like you and I could keep talking for hours. Um, But as we wrap up, I wanted to ask you a couple of final questions, which is what motivated you to want to have this conversation today about this connection between imposter syndrome and women speak? And what are you hoping people will take away from it? Great question. I wanted to make the connection between women speak and imposter syndrome to help our audience, women and men, have the knowledge to not blame themselves for how they feel or react to situations, but understand why they feel that way and how they can work on eliminating some of these factors. So it helps partners and family members too to help each other if they have some positive thinking to provide and and uplift uh, when the time is necessary. My takeaway, Kim, is I hope that they'll believe in their self-worth They'll learn how to say no at work when they need to. They'll enjoy being competitive while they reach their goals. They'll inspire them to continue to carry the torch from other women who have overcome difficulty. And I hope they will be kinder to themselves, practice some of the ideas and tips that we briefly discussed today, and remember the line that I like to always close my Women Speak seminars with that they are braver than they believe, stronger than they seem, and smarter than they think. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much, Marilyn. This has been such a pleasure, and I know it will be valuable to many. Thank you so much for having me, and I learned a lot myself, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening today. 
If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and share it with other women who can benefit from this conversation. Before we go, I want to share some additional resources with you. If you struggle with this, with imposter syndrome and you want to manage it more effectively, I invite you to join my free imposter syndrome online challenge. Every day for seven days, you'll get an email with self-reflection questions and exercises to help you better understand your own experience with imposter syndrome and how to navigate it more effectively. To join the free challenge, visit executivecareersuccess.com slash imposter dash syndrome dash challenge. When you sign up, you'll immediately receive your first message. Also, if you're interested in joining a community of women who engage in candid conversations that generally aren't happening elsewhere, I invite you to join my leading women discussion group. On the first and third Thursday of every month at 12 p.m. Eastern, we meet virtually over Zoom to talk about questions or challenges related to career management, leadership development, and any other relevant topics such as imposter syndrome and confidence. It's always a great discussion with a great group of women. If you want to check it out, you're welcome to be my guest on a future call. Just reach out to me at kim at executivecareersuccess.com and I will share the call details with you. And if you want to join my newsletter to receive tips, insights, and updates, text leading women, all one word, to 66866. Finally, consider telling us your story. Contact me to learn more about how you can be a guest on the Imposter Syndrome Files. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.